The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Yesterday, we began looking at an overview of Job's miserable comforters and their miserable messages. Today, we conclude that sermon looking at the ways in which they tried to comfort, but in reality were causing him more misery. Please join us today as we conclude this sermon on Job's miserable comforters. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
verse 4, he says, If thy children have sinned against him, and have, he have cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, which means early, and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now would he awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. In other words, Job, I'm tired of hearing you flap your gums. You sound like a wind blowing because it is so clear. I know based on history that God's doing this to you because you or your children are both are great sinners and you must repent. Let me stop here and say this to every single one of you and especially me. If you find yourself in the crucible of suffering, one of the first questions you should ask yourself, God, am I being chastened? Lord, is this based on something that I've done? We always should examine ourselves in those situations. But I promise you one thing. I've had people say this to me before. Preacher, I, I don't know why God's chastening me. I don't know why I've had so much chastening over the past period of time. I just don't know what I've done that God is punishing me. Well, I assure you for one thing, I know, I don't know many things, but I know one thing from the word of God. If you can't figure out why God's chastening you, it's probably not God chastening you. Think about it as a parent. How many times did you ever chasten one of your children without telling them why? How many times did you just start, you, know, you didn't, I didn't just indiscriminately go in there when they were fussing and fighting and start wailing away on them. And, and then they say, why, daddy, why? And just walked away. I wasn't a great father, but, but it, I knew that much. And God is the perfect father. I'll tell you this from my experience. <laughs> I've been chastened by God more than once, several times in my life in a real distinct way and you know what every single time i knew why if you have any spiritual sense about you god will answer the question why if he is indeed chasing you and if you can't answer that question then it's probably the world the flesh or the devil that's causing you these problems the curse of sin around us or the curse of sin within us. why did i get diabetes why did i get cancer why did i Get Parkinson. Why don't you can name all the why did this happen? Well, the general answer is we live in a sin cursed world. We live in a world that's been cursed by sin since Adam ate of the fruit that Eve gave to him. Thorns and thistles are brought forth from the ground. We don't plant gardens and walk away and come back six weeks later and they're perfect and everything's standing and you can go get the get the okra and the peas to just fall in your lap. You have to work it because of the curse of sin. We don't live forever because we're sinners. We're born that way. So, Bildad here is operating from a false assumption that God's doing this. And, and he's a very strong legalist, very strong. Over in the 18th chapter where he's talking again, we read this from Bildad. In the 18th chapter, in verse 5, he says, Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of his fire shall not shine. 
Look down in verse 8 just for lack of time. He is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. He's talking about the wicked here. He's saying it is a law, Job. The wicked always suffer. Verse 21, Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him that knoweth not God. In other words, Job, maybe you don't even know God. Because you're suffering so mightily, and God doesn't do that to good people. God does that to the wicked. Well, it gets a little bit worse even with Bildad over in the 25th chapter. It's a very short chapter here. The last time we hear from Bildad, he says this after Job has, you know, Eliphaz has spoken a couple of times, and Bildad has spoken a couple of times, and Zophar has spoken at least once. And now Bildad sort of wraps his, his whole statement up in chapter 25 saying, verse 2, Dominion and fear are with him, talking of God. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? These are good questions. And I told you, there's some truth in these questions. But the problem is his view of God was only about the majesty of God and about the justice of God. And, and praise God, there's more to the Lord than that. He's a God of comfort and of pity. How, behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Let me tell you, there's no doubt that's true. You and I are but worms of the dust. In one place, he calls us nothing and less than nothing. But I want to ask you a question. We had a funeral this week for our dear brother Jake. His family was mourning his loss. His family was hurting over his loss. There's a lot of pain like that. And there are others that are mourning loss right now. What if I had gone up to one of his family members, put my arm around him and said, all right, just remember, Jake deserved this. Y'all deserve it. You're a worm. God bless you and walked away. How much comfort would that be? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we don't deserve any more than death. We, we, if the Lord had slain me at birth, that's more than I deserve. If I die today, I don't deserve any better. I am a worm of the dust. And legalistically speaking, Bildad was exactly right. Oh, but praise the Lord. He's not just a legalistic God. He didn't, he didn't intend for Bildad to go there and start focusing upon the depravity of man, the depravity of this, this worm of the dust named Job. You see, there's more to God. Do you know what God has done to the worms of the dust like you and me? He has loved us with an everlasting love. I don't deserve it. I should be cast into hell. I deserve hell. I deserve, I deserve never to have lived. But he loved me with an everlasting love. And even though I am a worm of the dust, even though that is exactly my place in the scale of, of priorities, praise God, he's loved me as a worm of the dust and he has put me in high places by his grace. Oh, Bill, Dad, don't be so judgmental. We know legalists. I know you know them. I know preachers that are legalists and harsh. 
And the next man, Zophar, is one of the harshest of all. Zophar, the third miserable comforter, shows up in the 11th chapter of Job. And he's the harshest of all three of the friends, I believe, in my reading of him here. Look at verse 5 of, of, of chapter 11. Let me back up. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 11. Then answered Zophar the Naamathite. Remember, remember, all these are happening like this. Eliphaz will speak and then Job will reply. And then Bildad will speak and then Job will reply. And now Zophar is speaking for the first time. And he says, should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? He's kind of got the same approach to Job. You're, you're talking too much, Job. You're just, you're just talking to hear your head roar. Should thy lies, look at how harsh he is. Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed. Let me, let me just stop here and say this. I have tried to comfort people before who have made statements about God that are wrong. I've, I've talked with people who are weeping and asking questions and making harsh statements about God that, they, that are obviously wrong in the scripture. But you know what I didn't do at that point? I didn't get into some deep theological discussion with them about how wrong they are. I didn't say, whoa, 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 you're a liar. <laughs> That's what Zophar is saying. Job, you're over here suffering. Job is scraping himself with a pot shard. He has lost his family. His, even his wife has turned unfaithful uh, to, 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 to encourage him to be unfaithful to God. And Zophar looks at him and said, you big liar. <laughs> how comforting is that? <laughs> Well, anyway, a lot, of, a lot of lessons in here about speaking the truth in an appropriate time and speaking it in love. But look how harsh he is. Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thy eyes. But look at verse 5. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. And that he would show thee the secrets of his wisdom, and they, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Oh man, what a harsh, judgmental friend. What a legalist. His main assumption here is that Job has sinned and must repent. Job, all of your problems are based on unconfessed sin in your life. And he goes on harshly to talk to Job and ultimately tells him, you've got to make yourself right with God. Now, remember, as I said, all these friends make some good points of truth, but they misapply them. And you have to rightly divide these statements. So for just a few minutes here, as our time is about gone, I want to just talk briefly about Job's responses. We may come back to this later. And what they all got wrong and what we need to remember in our lives. So Job, his responses is sort of an overview. First of all, he begins to buy into the idea that God is doing all this. He begins to, he begins to listen to what they're preaching. In chapter 6, he answers in verse 1, it says, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed, and my calamity laid in the balances together, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. 
The poison whereof, I, whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. He's buying into it. Be careful what you say to someone, particularly in their grief, but certainly in every aspect of our lives. We could lead somebody astray. They're, they're saying, God's doing it, Job. God's doing it. And Job begins to believe it. He really started out that way a little bit, to be honest with you. But he says, the arrows of the Almighty are within me. Now, to a large extent, what Job says in defense of himself to his friends is correct. In verse 14 here of chapter 6, he says, To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. In other words, why are y'all coming jumping on me? You ought to be showing me pity. He's right. That's what they, so there's a lot of things he's right about. Pity is what is needed, not harshness, not legalism, not, not some kind of uh, 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 approach that, that doesn't have pity involved in it. That never comforted anybody. Legalism never comforted anyone. So he begin, but he begins to buy into this idea that God is doing this, and he often defends himself properly, as I said. And we'll see that as we go through this book. But eventually, he begins to display the pride and the self-righteousness that's present in both his life and his friend's life. Look at chapter 23 just for a second as we're coming down to a close here. In chapter 23, this is where it seems, it doesn't begin here, but you really begin to see it here. In verse 1, Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter, my stroke is heavier than my groaning. Now listen to this. You ever been here? Oh, that I knew where I might find him, talking about God. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Now think about what Job is saying. If I could just find God, I'd make my case to him. I'd make him answer me. I'd ask him some questions. I'd fill my mouth with some arguments that he'd have to listen to. Listen to the pride here. You ever felt that way? God, where are you? God, why won't you answer? God this, God that. Why are you doing this? Now listen, we all are there. And that's one of the reasons Job is such an important book because I can identify with Job. When things keep happening, I've had that, I'm sure you've experienced it, where it's just one thing after another after another. And sometimes you get to the point, why me, Lord? Why me? <laughs> And we forget that the real appropriate question is, why not me? Why not me? You know, what do I deserve any better? But Job forgot here. By the way, I want to point one thing out to you. What happened when God did appear on the scene? How many questions did Job ask God? <laughs> How many questions did Job ask? I fill my mouth with arguments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demand of him and he'll answer me. No. God came on the scene and said, Job, I just got a question for you. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? <laughs> Answer me, son, if you, can, if you can. And Job eventually says, I've, I've spoken too many times. I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth. But you see, Job begins to display some of the pride and the self-righteousness. And he ultimately holds on to the desire to just be put out of his misery. He says, I'm so miserable, I want to die. You ever been there? Look back over in chapter 7. 
chapter 7, he says, verse 1, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hireling? As a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, as a hiring looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and wearisome nights are appointed to meet. And by the way, when he's talking about an appointed time, that literally means a warfare. That literally means a time of fighting. There's, he's not talking about a certain day that you're going to die. That's talking about your appointed time here on this earth. It's a time of warfare. It's a time of struggle, okay? And he says, I'm ready to go. I'm tired, Lord. Just put me out of my misery. Now, okay, as we close in the next five minutes, <laughs> what did they get wrong? What did they get wrong? Both Job and and his miserable comforters, but particularly Job's miserable comforters. Well, first of all, they understood God's greatness, but they did not remember his mercy. God is a great God. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. But you know what it tells us in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3? That he has loved us with an everlasting love. We read in other places in the Psalms that he sits high upon his throne. Oh, but he looks down upon his children. In Psalm 138 and verse 6, listen to this. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. The Lord is high, but he has respect unto the lowly. God looks down upon his children in Psalm 113. Listen to what he says over here, uh, beginning in verse uh, 4. Psalm 113 and verse 4. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? They focused on that. They got that part of God that he dwells on high. He's high in the heavens. But notice verse 6. Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. And lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. You know what we're told in Ephesians chapter 1? That he loved us before the foundation of the world, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, before anything was laid, before the universe was created. He loved his people. He said, and he said, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, predestinating us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. They understood God's greatness. But they forgot about his mercy. God always loves those whom he has chosen in Christ in eternity past. And Job knew this. In the 19th chapter, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. His friends had forgotten this. They also got it wrong because they equated God's grace with the abundance of earthly blessings. You know, his friends here were really the first proponents of the prosperity gospel, right? <laughs> You know, name it and claim it. If you got enough faith, you'll get it. If you, you give a $10, you'll get $100 back. You give $100, you get $10,000 back. That prosperity gospel has been around since the time of Job, brother buddy. <laughs> they equated God's grace with the abundance of earthly blessings. The, the idea, the logic here is that God sends curses and calamities on wicked men. Here we see God has sent curses and calamities on Job. Therefore, Job must be a wicked man. But again, the fundamental problem here is that although God did move the hedge, he did not 
send the calamities. Job's prosperity was not a sign of God's grace and his troubles were not a sign of God's condemnation. Read Psalm 73 sometime and you'll see sometimes the wicked do prosper. And finally, they focused upon Job's troubles instead of pointing Job to God's promises. They focused upon Job's troubles instead of pointing him to God's promises. They condemned Job instead of encouraging him. They should have reminded him of God's love instead of browbeating him with God's judgments and his justice. Remember 2 Corinthians over here when Paul is talking about all his troubles? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, For which cause we faint not, speaking of all these things where God has been with him, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. Listen, read about Paul's affliction sometime. It's not light. It's terrible. He got beaten four times with 39 stripes. He was shipwrecked. He was let down in a basket out of a wall. He was constantly being harried by the enemies of God's kingdom. But he calls it a light affliction. Why? Which is but for a moment. He said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, how is it, Paul, that you're able to keep this view? While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Similar situation with Paul, but Paul was focused on the right things. Job and his friends were focused on the wrong things. The ultimate issue is his friends fundamentally misunderstood the nature of God. I want to say to you this morning, beloved, he is great but he's also merciful. And a proper understanding of God will always lead us to humility, love, and mercy. Job pretty much got that part right. He did understand, better than his friends at least, that God is great, but he's a God of mercy. So what's the lessons? Number one, don't leap to conclusions. When you find someone suffering, as Job was, or even... Not quite to that extent. Don't leap to conclusions. We don't have the right kind of vision to figure out even our own problems, much less the problems others are having. There's always a situation we cannot see, like there was in the case of Job. There's always a touch of mystery, in a sense, and, 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 and lack of understanding when it comes to the sufferings of God's people. Lesson number two, don't assume that God is doing everything that's happening that you see out there happening to someone or to yourself. Most of the time, it's the world, the flesh, or the devil that's causing the problem, or all three. Lesson number three, don't equate grace with things or circumstances. Even Job did this. Most of what he was arguing is, why do I deserve this? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if it's chastening, it's between you and God. It's between that person and the Lord let me ask you this. How would you like it if you were disciplining your children and somebody comes up in the middle of it? <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. If I was spanking one of my children and someone else came up in the middle of that, I'd stop spanking them and I'd do what God did. God turns to them and says, I'm angry with you. You know, God wasn't doing this to Job, but these friends got up in the middle of it and he said, you know, they tried to interfere with what was going on. If God is chastening somebody, leave them alone. Pray for them and love them. That's between them and God. And finally, 
Remember this. Sometimes it's best to just sit down in silent sympathy with your friend who's suffering. If these miserable comforters had just sat there and just wept with him and just mourned with him and just been with him, we'd be looking back on them and saying what wise men they were. But they were miserable comforters because they tried to explain something they didn't know the answer to. We don't always have the answers either. We don't always know what's going on, but we know the one who does. And we can't always comfort the way we need to, but we know the God of all comfort. Remember this when we're dealing with the sufferings of our friends and neighbors and our family out there. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.